every week we talk to dozens of SaaS founders and operators about the inner workings of growing a business, from the day-to-day minutiae, to inspiration, to the tough decisions, and the mistakes made along the way. You're listening to the SaaS Open Mic Podcast. My name is Olivia Jarvis. Head over to chartmogul.com for more content like this and easy access to your SaaS metrics in just a few clicks. That's chartmogul.com. My guest this week is Espen Fries Jensen, the co-founder and chief growth officer at Userflow, a no-code builder for in-app onboarding and surveys, allowing SaaS businesses to be more product-led. Prior to Userflow, Espen co-founded Cobalt, which today is a 200-plus employee company. At Cobalt, Espen was part of a product-led growth initiative that piqued his interest to go all-in and join a company in the space. Please enjoy this product-led discussion with Espen. Espen, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you here. As we do with everybody, please kick off with who you are and where you are. So my name is uh, Espen, and as you can maybe hear by my strange accent, I'm uh, from Denmark originally, uh, but I'm based in uh, San Francisco. Uh, Right now, I'm actually not in San Francisco. I'm in Anchorage in Alaska, just taking a uh remote work uh kind of trip uh up here in the cold uh, but it's nice so yeah that's oh, where i'm at nice. you'd be the first person i've ever spoken to in anchorage so um <laughs> i'm quite jealous we're having a heat wave in vancouver and i would love to be in a nice cold place right now yeah we'll see it rains a lot <laughs> it rains know. a lot yes fair introduce yourself tell people who you are and what you do so uh, I'm one of the founders of a company called Userflow. Uh, so Userflow is a company that does uh, product tours, in-app onboarding and surveys. Um, so really a, a tool to help drive onboarding and trial conversion and so on. And prior to that, I co-founded another company uh, called uh, Cobalt, which is a IT security company doing something called uh, pen test as a service. Uh, so basically a modern approach to penetration testing. Um, so did that for yeah approximately eight years and acting as an advisor for them while I'm uh, uh, operationally involved in useful. Awesome. So we invited you on today to talk about product-led growth. This is something that you've obviously spoken about on a couple of other podcasts. You're quite um, loud about it in the sales and product community. Um, and I'm excited to kind of get your thoughts on this. So for people that are listening, obviously product-led growth is something that's quite hot right now in SaaS. A lot of companies are trying to achieve this. Can you give an overview of product-led growth for those that are not familiar? Yeah, I think the, the easiest way to explain product-led growth is really uh, to, to look at the opposite, which is sales-led growth. Uh, so sales-led uh, growth is where you often involve people for, for every single step in, a, in the sales process. You will involve a salesperson to do a demo uh, and, and have an interaction with the customer. Uh, and maybe when they then become a customer, you have a customer success manager who does a meeting, an onboarding meeting, and so on. So a lot of people involved. And in product-led, you kind of reverse that. So typically what you do instead is you do a freemium or free trial. So you put the hands, the product in the hands of the customers and let them evaluate without necessarily speaking with anyone. And then they can also often buy themselves. Uh, so they can go through a full uh, purchasing journey without speaking with a human. Um, uh, but uh, there is still room for, for sales in product growth, and we can talk more about that. But but yeah, I think that's that's really the essence of product growth. It's a it's an approach where you you think product first instead of people first, uh, and and kind of the entire organization should 
uh, evolve around uh, how we can have the product drive our growth instead of a sales function. As I said, product-led growth is quite poignant right now. People are talking about it a lot. Do you think that this is a new wave of SaaS? What's kind of brought out product-led growth in our community? Yeah, I think I think SaaS, uh, the product-led motion has always been around in SaaS, and some companies have been doing it. Uh, but more and more, uh, especially in the more successful companies in the past, moved more and more back towards uh, demos uh, and always doing a sales call. And I think part of that, uh, the reason behind that is that the people were basically not ready to buy in that way at that point in time. So people were used to more traditional ways of buying. So SaaS came in as this kind of uh, a new way of working, right? And, and you're moving to the cloud, but people were not fully ready yet to buy uh, in, in the kind of consumer way uh, that, that you otherwise see. But now SaaS has matured and now we're ready for that uh, motion. So, so a lot of companies uh, that previously have been doing uh, demos always are now moving to a free trial, kind of freemium product that motion. Mm. You and I talked about this offline when we were preparing for this conversation. I really think that product that growth is very indicated or excuse me, very much driven by the buyer. Uh, people's expectations yeah. have changed, right? There yeah. is so much more uh, desire and ability to get into a product without ever needing to talk to someone and determine if it meets their needs which I think is really just the motion that SaaS has taken in the last maybe even five to seven years. That's really iterated. Yeah, it's really moved towards the end user making the decision, right? Uh, you no longer want to buy a product that's just been kind of decided from the top, okay, this is probably a good product. Even the top management will look at how good is this uh, product actually to use um, and, and will expect some kind of hands-on before they make a decision. Um, so that that's that's what we're seeing in the market. And that's the maturity I was also talking about, that people are now ready to really buy this way where they try the product before they buy it. Um, yeah, I agree entirely. So Userflow, we talked about this. You guys are two and a half, two-ish full-time employees. <laughs> what are some of the pros to running a small and tight team that is product-led? How did you do this with Userflow right from the start? Yeah, so Userflow is a, a very, uh, I would say, we're, we're lucky that when we started, we decided to be product-led from day one, right? I think a lot of businesses that are sales-led today and want to become product-led, that's a big move. Uh, I, we went through this at Cobalt, where we started this kind of sales-led to product-led uh, move. And it's a big change management process uh, because a lot of people are used to the sales-led processes. And suddenly you, everybody has to get together and align on how do we solve this via the product. And it's a lot of teams that you suddenly have to coordinate to make that happen. Uh, it's not only product management, uh, it's customer success, it's sales and so on. Um, but in, in Userflow, we have always thought product first, right? From uh, day one. Um, and, and what, what, um, what is good about that is that we don't like, we try to avoid uh, needing to hire a lot of people, right? Like, how can we solve this in the product? How can we actually um, uh, support our customers still in a in a very good way, but without hiring a lot of people? And actually, what we're seeing is that uh, despite us growing really fast, our support load is not growing. Our support load stays kind of equal, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, so, so, so that's one of the benefits that we've seen by being hyper focused on solving 
for instance, support and, and uh, self-service in a nice way uh, by having a strong product and having a strong UX. We are really reducing our workload and, and people like that and people like great products and, and, and people then buy your product because it's a great product, right? So we're really speaking to that, the new end user era that's happening uh, and people love that. Why do you think that your support load has decreased? Can you pinpoint it on just like the product being good? Is it the, the need is there? What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think it hasn't it decreased. It's just stayed the same. So you can argue, yes, it's de it's decreasing, right? Um, so so it's and it's not it's enough for the two of us to manage, right? Uh, and actually, it's not a big load for, for us to handle. So, but the reason is we always, whenever we encounter like a recurring support question, we think about how could we fix this in the product, right? We always think product first. Uh, and that's really what product-led is about, like thinking product first. How could we solve this by making our UX better, making something more self-service, making something easier to find? Uh, so, so we're using that kind of product-first mindset in everything we do. Uh, and that's what keeps our support down. The sales-led approach to solving that problem would be let's hire a customer support person or let's hire more customer support persons to help explain this uh, uh, problem uh, to users, right? Which is kind of silly when it's a recurring thing that you should really solve in the product. Yeah, most certainly, most certainly. Um, you wrote a really good article for SaaS Mag and you kind of broke down product-led growth and, and why it's important. And you noted a couple of different things in, in how to move from sales-led to product-led. You talked about reducing scope, iterating as you went, appointing a product manager. I'd like to touch on this because you made some really good points to me when we talked about this one-on-one -on -one about automating processes and, and really having someone kind of run this. And maybe that's the point around the driver or the product manager. Tell us a little bit about that. How do we kind of get this off the ground and automate things to really make it sing? Yeah, it's and that it's really tough when you first build, establish a lot of sales-led processes in your company. Uh, that's where it becomes tough because what you've really done is you created a lot of customization. Uh, unless you are really, really strong in processes, then whenever you build people processes, uh, they become very customized and not very standardized. And that's actually a problem uh, because it's much better to have standardized processes that everybody understands uh, and can use, uh, and it makes it a lot easier to automate. So I see a lot of wins in, in moving to a self-service and automated kind of process because um, you're forcing standardization, right? So you're forcing that you are, you're, you're setting a process that follows a standard process. Uh, otherwise, you can't automate it. Uh, and, and Chad Mogul is a fantastic example of this, right? I, I like to bring you guys out here because they, you, you connect, you set up an automation, let's say with Stripe for payments. And you set up like, how should your subscriptions be? But they need to fit in. Of course, you can do customization in Chat Mogul, but ideally you shouldn't, right? You should just make it fit with whatever the standard is for the industry because everybody will like that. Investors will like that. Uh, new team members will like that. Your CFO will like this. Your auditors will like this, right? And it's really not good to have a ton of customization. And there's really no reason for why you should be much different than your peers, right? Um, so, so I think it, that's what self-service and uh, automation also helps drive the kind of standardization, and 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 I find that super interesting. Um, uh, but to answer your question, how do we approach it? Well, in Cobalt, 
I started with a spreadsheet of all our manual processes. And uh, then we basically took them one by one. How can we automate or make this self-service? And so that's how something we worked on for, for a couple of years in, in the company. I think it's clever. Standardization is one of the first things I say to people when I look at their revenue data. When I see really, really messy data, it's typically going to come back to the number one error that I see in early stage businesses, which is custom pricing. Mm. People that are getting unique deals, left, right, and center, unique discounts. And it's really, really hard to follow trend lines. It's really hard to break down your business and say, our growth is contributed to you know X plan or customers of this segment. Do you see that a lot too in the automation? Is that what you're kind of referring to with standardization? Yeah, I think, and that's an important aspect to product-led growth. You cannot make too many exceptions to your rules uh, because people will also get uh, annoyed that some people are getting something they're not getting, and then that starts spreading in the industry. And if you want a truly product-led process, you really shouldn't do too much pricing customization. I think Atlassian is an amazing example of this, right? They, I think they have a rule that they don't do any discounts at all, uh, which is kind of interesting. And I, I would say that Atlassian is a pretty successful company, but you wouldn't even, I think you would, you wouldn't even try. I don't know if anybody has tried that, but it, it wouldn't even occur to me when I sign up for Dura. Uh, to ask for a discount. I just sign up, right? I don't even think that's a possibility. Uh, and I think that relates to the, the very product-led approach they have. I wouldn't say that user flow is, we're still a startup, right? So we have to be a bit more listened early to the market, but we are still following standardized discount levels, right? Like we are, when we give discount, it's typically only for a year. And we, we do it based on certain criteria and it's an actual coupon that we add to our uh, system, right? It's not just something random and then we gave a bit of extra here or this feature here. It's actually a standardized. We bring them up to a proper plan and then we discount that. We don't give them this extra thing uh, that nobody will remember uh, a year later. 100%. We act exactly the same way. I'm sure that there's listeners here that have encountered my objection back when somebody says, hey, what can you do for me on pricing? And the first thing I say is, we aim to keep our pricing standardized across our customer base for our sake and for yours. And that really is coming back to the point that we need to keep things fair and consistent, but also our metrics matter to us. And the more we add discounting all willy nilly, it's really, really hard for us to track and see how it's impacting our business. These are really good kind of points that um, come up a lot when people look at their metrics in ChartMobile. And, and I'm curious from your perspective, what metrics can people look at or areas of their business can they e examine to understand if product-led is working within their company? Yeah, I think from, for the most important or easiest thing to look at is really how, how many people touch points are you doing with these customers, right? Like, how many customers were you able to sell without any human being being in touch with them? Uh, I think that's a easy way to look at it, right? Like, um, so, so that really proves you have a full product led motion. Somebody's able to go to your product, evaluate your product, essentially uh, self educate them on some support issue and uh, buy your product uh, without you uh, being involved at all then I think that's a good kind of metric for, for success in a, your product-led model. And then you can start measuring how many of your total deals are you bringing in that way, right? Um, 
uh, and maybe not only look at the ones where it's not getting uh, touched at all, but look at the ones where uh, you're not at least not doing a demo, right? Like maybe you don't need to do a demo, and 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 I find that uh, that's an easy way to measure it. Uh, but then over time, as you look more and more in metrics, you start measuring activation and these kind of things. But that's more, I would say, uh, product-led growth metrics. Uh, and that's something when you've already seen, okay, product-led is great. Uh, let's look at how we can improve our product-led motion. Then you start looking at activation metrics and stuff like that. But but if you want to measure, is it outperforming our sales-led motion, then the, the other way is the way to go in my view. Right. So the touch points kind of touch on that, that pre-sale top of funnel and then post-sale, you're talking about things like, I mean, customer acquisition cost is also pre-funnel, but what else can people look at from a retention perspective? Is it, is it going to come down to churn? Is it going to come down to cohort data? What do you think about the post-sale that's going to really indicate if product-led is working? No, I think customer acquisition cost is for sure a big, and that's really what I'm saying when I say look at the touch points, right? It's probably the easiest metric to use to to count that. Uh, but sometimes it's hard to what goes into CAC, right? It's not always easy. Um, uh, but the, the best way to look at a retention is, again, look at that number. These people who didn't speak with anybody, did they stay, right? Uh, are they staying uh, in your, your product? I think what you will realize is that a lot of them will actually uh, stay because they uh, experienced the value of the product before they bought. So they are, they're not going to say, ah, this is really bad. I don't like it. They actually already experienced this product is amazing. I like it and I'm going to buy it, right? So that's a whole other thing than I'm going to buy this to try it, uh, but then I might figure out I don't like it. I would say the first couple of months in a product-led motion, you still need to be aware about that. So it's very important that you, of course, onboard people in your trial period or whatever, but also post-purchase, you need to stay on them and make sure they're getting properly onboarded uh, still because let's take uh, user flow as an example, right? Like you, they might in the trial have built like an initial onboarding flow. But to really like get this out uh, to their end users and measure success and so on, they need to do a bit more. They need to get a bit more committed, right? Uh, and keep on building. So we do a lot to that post purchase onboarding as well, uh, and really have them discover the more advanced features they necessarily, they didn't necessarily touch in the, in the, the trial phase, right? And and this is an area where sales actually can come in, right? That it's fair to in a product of motion to bring in sales in this post purchase because you might discover um and even pre purchase, you might discover an uh, upgrade possibility, right? Like is there something they didn't see or they they uh, they didn't discover that they actually uh, could benefit from. And that's where sales can push the right buttons to bring this deal up to a higher level uh, than what it what was uh, going to be without a touch point. Mm-hmm, most certainly. Are you doing that in-app? Are you guiding people through the app further with in-app prompts? How are you doing it at Userflow? Yeah, we do two things. So we, um, we do a mix between emails and in-app notifications. So we have like whenever we launch a new feature or they're not using an advanced feature, we prompt them. So we have uh, this, uh, uh, these beacons that show up in the app uh, that you can then go and look, okay, uh, what is this feature about, right? Uh, so it's very much, we don't want to uh, annoy the user too much. So we're like, okay, they can go and look at this area that we're highlighting, 
and then find that, right? And learn more about it. So that's one way to do it. The other way is just emails, right? Like post purchase, uh, we do pre-purchase emails, but post purchase emails, like, uh, and here we do a mix of uh, general kind of, how's it going kind of emails? How are you, uh, get, have you moved to, now you've been with us one month, have you moved to this level? And then uh, what we also do is uh, something we call user flow tips. It's actually inspired by superhuman. Uh, so superhuman has inspired a lot of businesses out there in their onboarding. Um, but they do these uh, tips from their uh, CEO where they, uh, this is how you solve something in superhuman. And we took that as well and are doing like uh, tips for more advanced stuff. Uh, you can do and use a flow. Uh, so an email coming from me on like a monthly basis or so. That's fantastic. I think when yeah. you have a product that has multiple layers, Chart Mogul is quite the same. Someone yeah. can come in, add data, and very quickly receive value. As soon as yeah. you add your Stripe data, you can see your MRR and you can see your churn rate. And a lot of people have an aha moment right then and there. But there's often a lot of people that mix, miss the next layer of depth around segmentation and cohort analysis. And we have to do a lot after the fact to ensure that people are getting the next layer of depth. I like the tips, the superhuman tips. I yeah. think that that's really interesting. Yeah, really, really it, interesting. Worked, it worked for us. So that's why we decided to do it as well. Right. Um, so, so I, I like it too, because it's, it's kind of proactive answering a question that we know a lot of people have It kind of goes back to that recurring support questions. Mm-hmm. A lot of those are basically things that we were all, already answering a lot in our support request, right? Um, so we know they're sitting with that question. We're, we're just giving it proactively the answer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of reactively. It's an interesting point. It would be cool to test because I, I work with a lot of companies that see really high churn in their first three months, right? Tons and tons of companies come on board, buy, and leave by month number three. And oftentimes it comes down to adoption and ensuring that your customer is really getting into the product and getting the value. That's cool. In your uh, SaaS Mag article, you noted some tools for product-led growth. Do you want to share some of the the best kind of tools that you point people towards? Yeah, I mean, Userflow is a no-brainer. And Chad Mogul, of course. Uh, I I really (laughs) think... uh, those two are, of course, super important. Uh, so user flow for onboarding and chat mogul for really standardizing and organizing your uh, metrics um, without uh, doing a ton of work, which is amazing. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Stripe uh, is between that, right? Stripe is a, has been in the market for so many years, but Stripe has always been, in my view, a big reason for why many businesses suddenly were able to do product-led growth because the payment piece was a pain for any business, right? Like, how do I set up recurring billing? How do I actually charge people with a credit card? And Stripe is making that super easy, right? And so, so I think Stripe has a, a lot of, should get a lot of credit for the supporting the product at Motion. Okay. And then you're seeing a lot of these like product analytics tools popping up. Uh, I think that's a big part of product that goes as well. Again, using your product data to understand your customer, uh, amplitude, is an example. They have a subsidiary called Iteratively uh, as well that, that helps uh, the data segment for organizing all your your data in a nice way um, is some something a lot of businesses are using. Uh, and then we use a, a tool called LockRocket, which is a session recording uh, kind of tool that's great for uh, early understand. I would say baseline kind of understanding of how users are using your product. 
and then you use amplitude for the more kind of big scale uh, analytics, uh, for instance. Um, so those are some of the great tools, but there are so many great tools uh, out there. Uh, Loom, again, I should mention mm-hmm. Loom, amazing tool, right? Like Loom, we use it, uh, again, going back to support. I know it, when somebody asks, can we jump on a call? Why not just ask them first, can you send a video of your problem? And then I'll send you maybe a video back of what you need to do, right? And that saves us all one hour or 30 minutes of meeting and scheduling and all this kind of stuff. So Loom is amazing as well. Uh, but yeah, many, many different tools uh, out there. I think an interesting space that is uh, maturing is the whole CRM uh, or sales product-led sales or product-led CRMs uh, where we're yet to see uh, a winner. Uh, these are like all early, early stage companies, uh, but it's a very interesting space. It's basically around how can we, um, how can we discover the opportunities where sales should get involved uh, when we're doing free trials and freemium. Yes, yes. And then I'll just do a plug for ChartMogul. The best thing about all of those tools is when you put them against your metrics, you get a ton of insight. So understanding product usage. I just helped a customer the other day get their Pendo event data into ChartMogul and analyze their churn by the amount of events somebody has in their tool, Yeah, which is great because then you can really quickly see if those people in those first three months are genuinely adopting your product. So I think that adding all of these tools, but also knowing how to analyze them is really critical to the product-led motion. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and, and But I also, uh, again, going back to what I write in the article, reduce mm-hmm. scope, right? Don't do everything at once. Uh, do it uh, MVP, iterate and learn, um, especially if your business moving from sales-led to product-led then uh, it's a big change management exercise. And the best way to drive change is iterate and learn. Because if you try to do big iterations, people get scared and you never get anywhere. For sure. Well, I'll do a tiny plug again. We have another guest coming on the podcast in the next couple of weeks, and she's going to talk about sales in a product-led business. And I think that there's going to be a beautiful kind of combination of stories here between what you've said and what she's going to share, because there is still a place for it, but we need to understand what it is and how it looks. You have some great stuff on the internet that you've written. Where can people find you? Where can people follow your story and the things that you're saying about the product-led motion? Uh, so you can, of course, connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, but I'm also on Twitter, SMFJ uh, on Twitter. Uh, so those are the two primary channels that I use. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you can go to userblow.com. We have, um, I'm doing a, like a weekly video series where we actually talk about how we do product-led at Userflow. Uh, so I do like three to four minute videos where I share how we have approached different areas in, in a product-led fashion. Uh, so that's something... Uh, hopefully can bring value to some businesses. Awesome. Well, we'll link that on the blog post for the uh, for the podcast and people can follow along. Thank you so much for joining me today. Good luck with your life in Anchorage. I hope that you stay warm and stay dry. <laughs> um, it's been a pleasure chatting to you and we'll talk soon. My pleasure. If you enjoyed this week's episode of the SaaS Open Mic Podcast, leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, head over to chartmogul.com to try Chartmogul today.